Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Woo! Welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. Hope everyone is doing all right out there. I know we're chugging along here. You know, winter just doesn't want to let go for some of us. I know our friends up uh, north in Canada and even here in, in Massachusetts, you know, got a little bit of snow today, which is just insane this late in April. You know, listen, folks, I promise you, we are going to supply you with some great pro wrestling content today, without a doubt. But before I get to any of that, I have a great guest who represents a national restaurant chain. It's doing a fantastic job, she and her team, and I just want to highlight these folks. So, without further ado, welcome to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, the general manager of Panera Bread in Quincy, Massachusetts. We're talking about Stephanie Leyu. How are you, Stephanie? Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I'm fantastic. And listen, let me just tell you, honestly, on behalf of all of your, your fantastic customers, uh, I just want to thank you and your team at Panera Bread in Quincy. And I want to thank Panera Bread in general during this tough time, I mean, we're dealing with this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and there's been so many different changes and what have you. The fact that Panera Bread has continued to be a constant in our lives, continue to, to put out great, delicious food and drinks and what have you, offering up great service. Seriously, I, I really thank you and your team and, and Panera in general for all that you're doing for us right now. Well, thank you guys so much for choosing to order with us. Let me ask you, uh, Stephanie, how is it that your team especially, and, and you know, I, I've really been paying attention to what you folks have been doing, uh, and I, I'm, a, I'm a guy, you know, I got a business background, and I'm really big on customer service and things of that nature. One of the things that I've noticed about Panera Bread in Quincy, Massachusetts, is that there hasn't been a drop-off in the quality of service, the cleanliness of, of your location, and most importantly, the, the quality of the goods. I mean, you know, whether it's the drinks or the food or what have you, everything still feels the way it did two, three, four months ago. Well, what do you attribute that to? How are you folks continuing to stay so consistent in such uncertain times? Well, I mean, the consistency of the team and the atmosphere really comes from the standards that are set in the very beginning, you know, with our folks 
at Panera Bread. Yes, we are a restaurant, but this is the hospitality industry. And our number one focus, our goal, our expectation is to consistently deliver an excellent guest experience. Um, I have a great crew. Um, you know, we focus on building genuine and authentic relationships with our people, with our community. I can honestly say, you know, I love coming to work every single day. I love working with my team. They're very positive. They're powerful. They're charismatic. And they truly and genuinely want to make each guest happy. And they enjoy the work and they enjoy the commitment that we do you know, in order to perform the higher standard for our valued customers. One of the things that I've really appreciated is the fact that although Panera Bread is offering what's called a limited menu, so it may not be the complete offering that you would normally see. Nonetheless, there are some great options on this limited menu that you're providing right now. Share some of these delicious items and what have you. What are, what are some of the things that folks can get from their local Panera Bread right now? So our limited menu, it still includes all of customers' favorites. We have all of our signature soups, sandwiches, and salads. You can still order your favorite breakfast, lunch, and dinner including the breakfast chipotle chicken avocado wrap. For lunch, we have the um, chipotle chicken avocado melt, bacon turkey bravo. We have our broccoli cheddar soup. And I do also want to mention that strawberry poppy seed with chicken salad is back on the menu for all of you fans out there that love that salad, that is a big hit consistently every summer. So that is now available as well with a frozen strawberry lemonade. Wow. I mean, you're making me hungry now, uh, Stephanie. I'm I'm (laughs) telling you right now, folks, we're talking to general manager of Panera Bread in Quincy, Massachusetts, Stephanie Leu. We're talking about all the great things that are being offered right now by Panera Bread. Once again, this is an essential business. This is a restaurant that's providing an amazing service to all of us right now, giving us the nutritious, delicious foods and drinks and all these great things. In fact, you know, Stephanie, I received a a pretty cool email the other day where Panera is, is doing something called the the family meal if i'm not mistaken can you give some information about this this amazing family meal program that you have going on right now yes absolutely so right now we have the family feast for only 29 dollars. you can receive two half sandwiches two kids sandwiches a salad one family group mac and cheese and one French baguette, which is really a great deal. And if you also want to upgrade for dessert for only $34, we'll add four chocolate chip cookies to that order for you. It's funny because I I was just talking to my bodyguard about this the other day. I I had gotten some uh, Panera cookies and I'll tell you right now, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, Panera bread has the best chocolate chip cookie I have ever <laughs> had. I mean, legitimately, I, I, I bought the, the pack of uh, cookies that come in a little plastic. I think, what is it? Like, is it 12 of them in, in there? They're, they're the smaller cookies? Yes, our mini petite 
pack. Yes, the mini petite pack. And let me tell you something. It is by far the best chocolate chip cookie I have ever. I cannot think of a time where I've had a better chocolate chip cookie. Just really delicious. So shout out to Panera Bread and anybody out there. If you are a cookie connoisseur like the Duke is, you better believe it. Get yourself your chocolate chip cookies. Get your your coffee or get your your other drinks or what have you go to Panera bread. I'm giving you the hookup right now. I'm telling you that's right. Now I know that traditionally your location in Quincy, Massachusetts does not have a drive-through, but Panera bread, you know, even as a company, you guys have really pushed the envelope in terms of figuring out solutions, figuring out ways to better accommodate customers especially during this, this global pandemic that we're dealing with. Talk to everybody about this innovative, uh, these different ways that you're finding ways to, to reach your customers, especially when it comes to bringing food out to their cars and the, the way you've done your drive through Talk to us about some of these solutions, please. Yes. So the number one thing is we want our customers to feel safe. And you have the option to stay safe in your home or stay safe in your car. And we have a couple new things. So first of all, uh, we have assembled a pop-up drive-through. And we have an associate outside with a kiosk uh, in hand ready to take your order. When you pull up, you don't have to leave your car. We will prepare your food and we will make sure your bag is sealed and we'll bring it right outside to your car. So you can drive right in or you can order in the parking lot and we're going to bring it right out to your car for you. Um, We also have another option when you order online. It's called drive up ordering and you can just place your order right online It's going to prompt you to give us a brief description of your vehicle, and we'll have the order ready for you. And again, we're going to bring it right out to your car for you. You don't have to come inside, and we will take care of you. And I do want to uh, mention as well that we also have free delivery going on right now at your Panera Bread location. So you can go ahead and order, select the delivery option, and we will make this a contactless delivery for you. Whether you're at home or at work, just give us instructions. For example, leave it in the lobby, leave it on the front porch, and we will prompt you and let you know your order has been delivered, and it'll be wherever you have instructed us to put it. Wow. Another way that you're delivering great service during such a a challenging time for everybody. And it's really appreciated. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that I love about Panera Bread, first of all, the quality of food is top notch. So that's that's extremely important. I mean, just the the quality of food is always very, very high. You're not going to get, you know, for lack of a better term, something crappy, so to speak. It's always going to be the best sandwiches and cookies and whatever it is that you're that you're purchasing there but what I also love is the personal touches and I can speak from experience I mean some of the things that I've witnessed and and have been on the receiving end of at Panera Bread especially in Quincy Massachusetts has just been tremendous I mean you know I've even witnessed 
situation where some of our folks who are out there on the front lines, you know, our, our medical workers and what have you have, have been able to come in and, you know, the team will give them a complimentary coffee and a cookie. And I understand that that may not necessarily be a, a, a company-wide practice per se, but it's a personal touch. And it's something that goes a long way. And, and just another way that, you know, folks, especially your location, letting the community know that you appreciate everybody. And it's just a, a small token of appreciation that is a big deal. You never know what that could do for somebody's day. Uh, just something as simple as a, a cup of coffee and a cookie. So that's really want to shout you guys out for that. So tell me now, uh, Stephanie, you guys have kiosks inside the restaurant. So somebody can go in and they can order their coffee in the kiosk. You have the app, you have online. Uh, they could also come in traditionally in order. You've really done a great job in reducing lines during this whole notion of social distancing and doing the right thing and what have you. Uh, I've seen pretty much all of these different mediums being used at the same time, which results in people being able to get in and get out easily and the drive through and all that good stuff. I mean, how do you do it? How are you, you and your staff able to just keep up with all this stuff? Well, we have adjusted to the current times. You know, we want people, we still want to feed people. We want to feed our community and we want everybody to feel safe. So uh, assembling the pop-up drive-through has really been key. Just having somebody out there with the kiosk ready to go right to your car to take your order. Um, and like you had mentioned, I still do have a, a lot of guests that, you know, want to come in and they still want to order with us and, you know, have some light conversation and have some interaction with us and we'll get their food out and uh, ready for them quickly as well. We've just, you know, adapted to the current situation and we're doing the best we can here to provide for our community, feed everybody and to make sure that everybody is staying safe. For sure. And I'll tell you right now, it's just greatly appreciated because it's important to have a place that you can go to. And for lack of a better term, you can feel normal. You know, I could go to Panera Bread three months ago and get my coffee get a bagel, get a sandwich. And that experience was one way. It was pleasant. The people there were accommodating and friendly and, you know, customers that you, you could feel like it was a positive shopping experience. It still feels that way today. And that's why I felt it was important to highlight Panera Bread and, and to highlight Stephanie and, and your team at the Quincy, Massachusetts location, because legitimately what you've been able to provide the community and folks from all over, not just Quincy, folks from all over pass through and end up visiting your location. You've been able to, to continue to provide normalcy during a very, very not so normal time. So, you know, really appreciate that. Uh, Stephanie, can you please let everybody know What's the best way that they can reach Panera Bread, especially if they, you know, I know that they want to find one of their location, they want to get some of these great foods and what have you. Tag the website, what have you. Let everybody know how they can reach Panera Bread, please. Yep. So you can go right to PaneraBread.com. 
allow your current location and it'll give you a list of Panera breads that are the closest to you and select your Panera bread and we will be happy to take your order. That's right. So again, PaneraBread.com, folks. Also, you can download the Panera Bread app, something that I utilize on a routine basis. It'll, it'll let you know the nearest location as well. You can put your order in ahead of time. So when you get there, it's ready for you. And whether, you know, if they have a, a drive-through or somebody will bring it out, or if it's just going to be sitting at that, that waiting location where you can just grab it and go, so accommodating, so many different great options and what have you. Listen, Stephanie, once again, we really appreciate you, the entire Panera Bread team, especially you folks at Quincy, Massachusetts location. Before I let you go, I got a two-part question for you. And this is a big deal here. So, so here we go. I'm going to put you on the spot. Number one, if you could pick anything right now, what is your favorite item on the Panera Bread, the limited menu right now? What is Stephanie Leyu, the GM, what's your go-to item on the menu right now? My go-to is the Green Goddess Cobb with avocado salad. It is delicious. We house make the dressing every single day with all fresh ingredients blended together. It is the best. The Green Goddess Cobb Salad. Okay, okay, I'm writing this down, okay, because I got I to try that dressing there now that you've talked it up so much. Okay. All right. So, so listen, you're, you're a GM, so you know all the good stuff. You know all the great ingredients. You know what to get. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you another question here, which may be a little tricky, but I'm putting you on the spot. I know that you, that you have uh, some kids. You got wonderful kids there, and, and shout out to them, sharing mommy with the world and what have you. Really appreciate them. What are your kids' go-to item on the Panera Bread menu right now? What's the one thing that they can't get enough of that you got to order when they, when they want their favorite? What is it? Yes. The kids' favorite go-to, my beautiful twin girls, have to have their mac and cheese. That is the favorite. So mac and cheese, Panera Bread, and, and a lot of folks will say mac and cheese, really? Oh, yeah, I'm telling you, I, I have had their mac and cheese. It is delicious. But you're saying that this is, this is the kid's favorite right here, the mac and cheese. Yes, mac and cheese. That's what they want. There you have it. Once again, Stephanie Leu, thank you. Thank Panera Bread. You folks keep doing the great job that you're doing out there. Thank you so much, and thank you to all of our customers and our frontline hospital workers and everybody who comes into the cafe and helping us stay in business. We appreciate you, and we are here to feed you. Thank you so much. It is always a pleasure to speak to one of our folks who, who are out there doing what's best for the community, taking care of business. And that's exactly what we had there. And, and, you know, again, shout out to Panera Bread and Panera Bread and Quincy. Just great folks out there. Really appreciate them. Great food, great drinks. You know, they're doing some innovative things. In this crazy world, they're figuring out a way to continue to provide services to all of us. So they get nothing but support from me because that's a big undertaking. And I really appreciate it. 
you know, I'm always talking to folks um, from around the world, different age groups and what have you. And you've heard a lot from the older folks, so to speak, right? You've heard a lot from me and people older than me, classic stars, you name it. But we have a, a great collection of, of listeners and folks out there who are a little younger and, you know, their voice needs to be heard as well, especially with so much going on in the wrestling industry today. And, you know, on the heels of WrestleMania, there's just a lot of cool stuff going on. And it's like, you know, I, I want to hear from the young folks. I want to hear what they have to say. So I got a person on the line. First of all, this guy, he, he is this, the son of the queen, Queen Jen. Okay. So he already is royalty. Real good guy, important person in the world. So the fact that he's taking some time out to address the Duke Loves Wrestling audience, this is really, really special. Without further ado, the man himself, Sir Peter. Sir Peter, how you doing today there, brother? I'm doing good. Excellent, excellent. Listen, Sir Peter, tell everybody, first of all, uh, how old are you? I'm 14 years old. So, Sir Peter is 14 years old. I mean, here we go. And, and you're a big wrestling fan, right? Yeah. Now, it's interesting, Sir Peter, because I know that you're somebody who has followed the WWE uh, in particular. And there's one wrestler who has really appealed to you that you've looked up to pretty much your entire life. Why don't you tell everybody who that guy is? John Cena. What is it about John Cena that has captured your attention for so long that's made you uh, care about what goes on with him? It's because he kind of has this weird vibe. He's not like everybody else. He kind of shows, shows like basic comic things in life. Like hustle, loyalty, respect isn't just like a brand. It's like what he thinks in general. Through the years, Peter, I mean, you've gotten a lot of John Cena merchandise. What, what would you say is your favorite John Cena specific merchandise that you've ever had, whether it was a shirt or shoes or hat, whatever. What's the one John Cena merchandise that, if you could think back in general, it's been your favorite? Uh, the green wristbands uh, that I got when I went to the Raw Live or something like that in Boston. They were just really cool because, like, it's like really cool to see that, like, I'm wearing something that the wrestlers also wearing. And, like, I didn't know they sold them like that. I thought you just, like, bought a shirt. Growing up, being a pro wrestling fan was always something that, you know, I, I kind of had to be careful about because there were so many people who felt that, well, pro wrestling, you know, it's not cool and don't you know it's fake and all this other nonsense and what have you. But because I was such a big fan, I didn't mind letting the world know. And I was just known as the kid who loved wrestling. Tell me from your perspective, Peter, growing up in a more modern era here, is it still uncool to be a pro wrestling fan or, or is it finally acceptable for somebody around your age, 14 years old and younger? Is it, is it acceptable to be a wrestling fan these days? I mean, it is acceptable, but people are always going to have their opinions on whether or not they like it. But people are more into UFC now and like MMA. They're more into like, the cage fighting and all that per se that in my opinion that's interesting that's interesting because you know obviously things like uh boxing and other types of martial arts they've always been around so i can understand that popularity but you're saying that um 
you're seeing more MMA fans in your age group as opposed to, say, WWE fans? Yeah. Why do you think that is, Peter? Why do you think they're gravitating more to mixed martial arts as opposed to pro wrestling like WWE? I think it's because, like, people like Conor McGregor and, like, all those other, like, big guys that, like, fight and they, like, really have a lot of brands and stuff that they follow and stuff, they kind of just bring more attention to UFC and stuff. And it's just been growing and growing and growing. Fair point. Fair point. And, and you know, when we think about the popularity and the TV ratings and all these other things that go on, uh, you may have tapped into at least a glimpse into why it looks as if pro wrestling's popularity is on a decline. In fact, you can answer an important question for me, Peter. When you watch pro wrestling, do you generally watch it when it first airs on TV or is this sort of like a, a DVR or online thing? Do you watch it a different way? Or are you still a traditional 8 PM Eastern standard time? I'm going to, park myself in front of the TV and watch it when it first airs. I like just watching things live because based on like Bruins gaming stuff, you are, you are to watch it when it's already on. So you get like the first glimpse. Great insight there. I know that there's so many different ways to consume entertainment today that um, so many different options, but because you're, you're a first run person, you want to see it live. That's, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool to hear. So, so tell me, Peter, because we just had WrestleMania and one of the marquee matches and one of the most talked about matches really was John Cena versus Bray Wyatt, Firefly Funhouse match. And it was just completely unlike anything I've ever seen before. So as somebody who's a lifelong John Cena fan, Sir Peter, you're somebody who believes in the, the hustle, loyalty, respect. You're from New England, so you have that kind of connection as well. John Cena's from around these parts. What did you think of his match, WrestleMania 36 versus Bray Wyatt? I thought it was a little bit confusing at first, and then it like got into like I understood what the concept was, but the ending was still unclear. But supposedly Bray Wyatt won that match, according to WWE, but I don't really see how because based through that whole match, all I saw was Bray Wyatt. I, in my personal opinion, I think he's going to go back to the whole Sister Abigail thing. But in John Cena, he went through the whole stages of his career and like a couple different ones that weren't even involved with him. A lot of folks have been trying to get John Cena to turn into a bad guy, to turn heel for many years. They're sick of this good guy persona that he has on. They're sick of the fact that he's the make-a-wish guy. He's always you know, taking care of the, the sick folks and he makes himself available to everyone and does everything. What about you, Peter? Lifelong fan, do you feel we need to see more of an edgier, a bad guy John Cena? Or do you still appreciate the, the good, wholesome values of traditional John Cena? In my personal opinion, I don't want John Cena to turn bad, but I want to see more of like an edgy kind of Roman Reigns kind of feel to him. But on the other hand, I see why people want him to turn bad because he's been good for so long that they like it's just they're getting tired of the good John Cena, like the like can never do wrong kind of feel. But like that's kind of what makes John Cena John Cena. It seems like you've thought about this before, so that's that's a good answer there. 
John Cena, he follows me on Twitter. Uh, he's somebody that because we have the whole Massachusetts thing going on, we, we know some of the same people. And if John Cena was listening right now, which he very well could be, if he, if he listens to this podcast and he hears one of his lifelong fans, what is the one thing that you would love John Cena to know on your behalf? What, what, what's something that you want to communicate to John? Keep up the good work. Don't like listen to other people kind of like you do you and you've been like my role model practically for my whole life. So, yeah. Let me tell you something, man. When I first met Ric Flair, nature boy, Ric Flair, who is my hero, my idol, the guy that I looked up to as a young kid, uh, I froze, I froze and, and, and broke out into tears. And, and I, I let him know, man, that he was just so important to me. And, and it was just a, a surreal moment to have this person that you've watched your entire life on, on TV and you've read about and you followed their life story and to interact with them for the first time. It's just a, a, a tremendous moment. And I hope that uh, one of these days you get a chance to meet John Cena because from what I understand, he legitimately is a good guy, just like you are, Sir Peter. So that would be a, a cool uh, treat there for the both of you, I think. I think I think John Cena can learn something from you as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can somehow, some way, if the stars align, make that happen there because that would be nice. Sir Peter, I know you're a busy guy. Do you have any social media or anything that you want to plug? Is there anything that you want to uh, put out into the world there where folks can follow you and see what's going on? Yeah, I have an Instagram account. It's called PG underscore real underscore music. And it's also PG underscore R-E-A-L underscore M-U-S-I-C. Oh, there it is, folks. So you definitely want to check out Sir Peter on Instagram. I mean, this guy, you know, he has a lot of things going on with music. He's a young man, but he's a talented young man. Loves his pro wrestling, loves his music, loves his mom. That's right. That's right. Listen, Sir Peter, I really appreciate you joining us once again. Thank you for your insight. Can we get you to come back on again the next time there's a big uh, wrestling event happening? In fact, you know, I know that SummerSlam is coming up and it's going to be here in Boston, so I may need you uh, to help me do a preview of SummerSlam. So maybe we can, we can get that set up and, and we can have you uh, let me know your predictions for who you think is going to win the matches come SummerSlam. Sure, definitely. I'd love to be on the show. It's always fun to talk to young people. I mean, you know, Peter, real nice young man and definitely has some great opinions, insightful, big John Cena fan. So keep up the great work there, Sir Peter. We'll, be, we'll definitely have him back on sometime in the future there. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when I get back, I have an exclusive interview with a man who has written a book that has just torn up the wrestling world. It is so impressive because it talks about what really happened with WCW. This guy did some work. He really dug into it, and I think you're going to like it. This is Alexa, and this is Brianna, and we're Sugar and, and, we're Spice. Sugar and Spice, and you're listening to Duke, Duke Love Wrestling. Wrestling. Folks, you know that at this point right now, we all definitely are finding different ways to entertain ourselves. Uh, we're definitely home a little bit more. So many stay-at-home orders and what have you related to this global pandemic 
this COVID-19 stuff. And you can only play so many video games and watch so many Netflix shows before. It's like, all right, what else is there to do? You know, one of the things that I have reverted back to is picking up a good book, you know, reading something and, and reading something that really captures my attention and, and educates me in a, in a different way. And we're all pro wrestling fans. We're all combat sports fans and what have you. And we all come from different backgrounds as well. I have a government and business background. So when it comes down to the nitty gritty of how certain concepts are connected and how they affect the very form of entertainment that we love the most, pro wrestling, you know, I'm really, really interested in that. And I've been that way from a young age. Our guest this week is a person who has written a book that is widely considered one of the best wrestling books ever. And especially because it talks about WCW and what happened there, what really happened behind the scenes from a business standpoint that affected the entertainment and ultimately resulted in WCW no longer existing. So, Without further ado, welcome to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, author and really cool guy, Guy Evans. How are you, Guy? I'm doing good, Duke. I'm happy to uh, be with you. I know we've been trying to put this together for a while, so it's great to finally connect. The real problem here, Guy, is that, number one, there's only so many hours in a day, and number two, <laughs> this, this global pandemic that we're dealing with, it, it definitely has affected everybody's schedule, right? Correct. Exactly. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's no time like the present to uh, to make sure that we take care of something like this. You know, when I knew I was going to be at home for a while, one of the first things I thought was I have to get back to you, Duke, because I know uh, we had talked about this for for quite a while. So looking forward to digging in with the uh, with you about the book today and kind of revisiting what a wild roller coaster it's been over the last couple of years. Absolutely. Now, guy, please tell everybody the the name of the book because I want to make sure that. <laughs> People listening, they get this right. There's so many books on the WCW topic, but this one in particular is the one I want everyone to check out. What's the name of the book? Okay. So it's, it's a little bit of a mouthful. So the full name of the book is Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW. Now, I think uh, colloquially or affectionately, it's just known as the Nitro book. That's what everyone seems to refer to it as. So if you just go on Google and type in WCW Nitro book or go on Amazon, just type in WCW Nitro book, it will most likely be the first thing that pops up. Uh, but that's the uh, the official title of the book, otherwise known as simply the Nitro book. Great stuff. And I really appreciate you uh, giving information on how to search for it on Google. That is mm. something that I think more authors need to pay attention to. What mm. is the easiest way to find your work if somebody randomly is searching it or, or you know, they sure. didn't quite catch the name when they heard it, but they know that it had something to do with Nitro. So that's that's good tip there. WCW Nitro book, best way to find it. Guy, you have done a tremendous amount of press surrounding this work, and, and you've had people from inside the wrestling industry, outside the wrestling industry, literally pick this apart. Mm-hmm. So I want to take a step back here. You've done it. You've been reviewed, you've been called out, everything in between. How do you feel about the work now, now that it's out, now that you've heard from so many different people about it? What are some impressions you have about the book today that maybe have changed a little bit since you initially wrote it and then put it out? 
Well, I think not too much has changed in terms of my perception of the book. I was very confident upon publication that this was as close to an accurate story that one could tell about WCW, especially its relationship with Turner Broadcasting. And as you mentioned, ultimately what happened with the company, I think the fact that I was able to speak to over 120 people who worked either for WCW or TBS, the fact that I was able to gain access to a lot of company materials, which had essentially been under lock and key for the best part of, of 20 years, um, and, and, and put all of that together and, and really try to present uh, a wide-ranging and, and fair picture of what happened. You know, I was, I was very confident that, um, you know, as much as humanly possible, I tried to remove my own sort of biases and preconceptions and, and judgments about the story because I came at it from the perspective of, you know, who really cares what I think? You know, I'm just someone who watched the programming back then. I never worked in wrestling. I've, I've never, uh, prior to doing this, never had any contact with anyone in the business, actually. So for me to sit there and pontificate on here's what these guys did well and here's what they didn't do so well, I don't think that would make for a particularly compelling uh, story. So I was very confident that this was going to be something um, that would resonate with people, that they would find not only entertaining but also informative because of a lot of the new aspects that have come out of the story. What I didn't anticipate was just the firestorm that was going to be created. And I have to say it's it's as close to 100% uh, positive in terms of the ultimate reaction um, as could be achieved, I think, you know, having done a book like this. You know, uh, it just continues to amaze me that here we are almost two years after the fact and people are still talking about the book. People like yourself are still kind enough to uh, ask me on for an interview. People are still reviewing it, um, putting other people onto it. It's just, it seems to be something that is like a snowball going downhill the, the longer time goes on. You know, you, you think that uh, you think that the chatter has died down and all of a sudden someone will talk about it on a show, someone will tweet about it and it, and it begins all over again. So that's, that's the aspect that has surprised me. You know, I, I thought that it was going to resonate. It was going to be received well. Um, for people like yourself to say this might be one of the better books, you know, written on the, on the wrestling business, that certainly wasn't part of my mindset in putting it together. So that, that has been a surprise. You know, Eric Bischoff was the, the man in charge of WCW. Of course, he wasn't the owner. As we all know at this point, folks, Ted Turner, Turner Broadcasting, they, they owned WCW. But Eric Bischoff was put in charge to run the show, for better or for worse, for, you know, a good portion of the run. And, and again, you covered all that there, uh, Guy. One of the things that, that really has fascinated me is the fact that your book at times was very open and honest about the things that Bischoff did that contributed to the ultimate downfall of the company. You know, of course, you talked about the good, but you really dug into some of these things, and, and especially, you know, personality and attitude conflicts and things of that nature, which Eric, to his credit, has been very honest about. Mm -hmm. You know, on, on his 83 Weeks podcast, he has been brutally honest about the fact that the things that you wrote about him in your book, for the most part, were completely accurate, and if he could, he wishes he could take some of these things back or, or the way that he treated certain people at certain times, he wished he could have a do-over. What do you think about that? Because he could have very easily gone on the attack and, and, and said that, you know, the book was a piece of crap and it's not true and, you know, mm -hmm. threatened to sue or something crazy like that. But instead, he actually has been, he's praised the book. Let's, let's be honest here. He's put the book way over. Well, how do yeah, you feel I, about that? 
I think it's it's very commendable, honestly, because I think uh, most of us, if we were in a position where someone was writing a book about a company that we played a very important role in, and they covered some ground that wasn't particularly flattering to us, I think it's it's human nature to reject the entire project outright and say, well, you know, this is a bunch of BS. Obviously, the, the author had an axe to grind here. You know, I, I wouldn't believe a word of it and uh, and kind of kill it there and then. And, you know, again, I think that would be the reaction of, of quite a few people. So I think for him to be able to separate his feelings about certain sections of the book from his wider analysis of the book, um, you know, I, I have to give, give him a lot of respect for that. And he's he's had some very kind things to say about it, both in person to me uh, and also uh, on the 83 Weeks podcast and, and just in his interactions with with people online and at conventions and so forth. I hear, hear that from people all the time that, you know, uh, that when they've had a chance to, to meet him at an appearance and talk about the book, that he obviously uh, discusses it in very positive tones. And so I think, uh, you know, there's there's a respect level there where he understands that there's an awful lot of work that went into this. And I, I really um, tried to leave no stone uncovered. And I didn't want anyone to say that they hadn't been contacted, that they hadn't been approached. I didn't want anyone to say that, you know, there's a, a particularly big part of the story that had been left out. Um, and so really, you know, my reaction is, again, uh, it just just a, uh, a feeling of, of uh, gratitude, I suppose, that um, he's been very uh, fair-minded about it. And, uh, and again, being able to separate uh, some of his feelings about certain sections from what he has said overall about the book. Wrestling fans have a habit of we're, we're in a bubble, you know, and, and we mm. see things from that lens, the, the bubble mm. of this entertainment medium, the sports entertainment lens. A lot of us, and, and I'm saying us because I've been guilty of this in the past myself, and, and it wasn't until I became a manager in business and, and really – digging into the nuance of how corporate decisions can affect the, what happens out there in, in front of the public, so to speak. So I, I kind of look at things from a different perspective now, but folks who aren't necessarily tasked with that, it's very easy to say, well, you know, the company went downhill because they put the belt on David Arquette. And that, that, was, that bad decision is what ruined everything. We knew it was the end of everything because of that. Yet, when you ask those folks about the AOL Time Warner uh, merger, they, they couldn't tell you much about it because, again, this is business. This is corporate stuff. It has nothing to do with the entertainment that they can see in front of them. You know, so it's, it's hard to understand that there was a lot more going on outside of WCW that ultimately impacted what happened in the end in WCW's fate than what the average fan would ever understand. So, so tell me, Guy, how were you able to capture that and break it down and, and explain that stuff so effectively? Because that's a lot of information that you were able to condense down and, and, and put into your book there. It is, and I think you can't ignore the creative side because obviously as, as fans, that's the part of the story that we resonate the most with. I mean, if, if given the opportunity to watch, you know, the Goldberg-Hogan match or peruse, you know, WCW's financial statements, I think most people would say, you know, let, let me look at the match. Um, but I think both things can be true in terms of their contribution to the overall demise of the company. Um, the fact that there were many uh, factors on a, on a business side that did not ultimately help WCW's chances of survival, particularly in the last couple of years, and, and all of the 
uh, all of the chaos and, and, and disorganization uh, with respect to the Turner organization certainly didn't help there. But also, you know, although this is a subjective thing, I think it would be very difficult for people to argue that the quality of the programming, again, especially in the last couple of years, was anywhere near what it was during its peak. And that's not to say there weren't bright spots. That's not to say some people might say, you know what, there, there were periods there that were my favorite part of, of, of the Nitro era. But I think on the whole, most people would recognize there was a drop-off in terms of the quality of the programming as well. So I, I think sometimes we kind of fall into the trap of analyzing one thing or the other, where in fact both things can be true. And I would also say if it was as simple as that, if uh, there was a, a direct positive correlation between the quality of programming and the revenue or, or, or income produced by a company, you know, I think one could make the argument that WWE probably would have gone out of business many years ago um, because, again, it's a, it's a subjective thing. But, you know, I, I think there's been long periods of time, years at a time, at least to my eyes, where they've presented some programming that, that hasn't been compelling at all, yet due to the loyalty of, of wrestling fans and whatever, whatever other reasons there is, you know, people stick with the product. Um, but yet they've continued to be, you know, more profitable than at any other time in the past. So it's, it's, it's obviously, you know, you, you cannot draw an analogy between an independent wrestling organization, you know, that's maybe running once a week or once a month, uh, and, and can very easily categorize its revenue and expenses and a, a huge corporate entity, um, that, you know, the, the actual on-screen or in-ring product is just one part of their business. So, I think that's something that I really tried to capture in the book. You know, you brought it up, and, and you're talking about WWE for a second there. When you look at their business model, right, and you mm. compare it to what you learned through your research of WCW and what ultimately happened there, once again, WCW was not standalone. It was part of a much larger corporate structure with mm -hmm. so many other moving parts uh, within it. WWE... Its bread and butter is, is its pro wrestling product. So mm -hmm. it may do other things, but pro wrestling primarily is its go-to thing. Do you feel that that model, and I mean, I, I guess it, it, it's kind of proven itself, but do you feel that that model is a little bit more sustainable just from a general standpoint? Absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to sort of foresee a situation where a wrestling company, I think especially back then, because obviously the, you know, I'm speaking from an outsider's point of view, but the wrestling business has changed quite significantly. But I think especially back then, the idea that uh, a wrestling company could operate as just any other division within an entity like Turner Broadcasting, um, that, that's kind of why I have the word inevitable in the subtitle, because I, I think it was just a matter of time before that um, particular dynamic imploded. So I think, as you say, the, the WWE model, um, has proven itself to be, to be the most successful way um, from a business standpoint over time. What, what, what I'm getting at, though, in terms of um, highlighting that the, the in-ring or, or on-camera component is just one spoke in the wheel for WWE is the fact that, you know, they, they have the benefit um, of being around in a time where there's certain uh, revenue-generating opportunities for them that didn't exist back then. So you think about the WWE Network, for example, the fact that they can have a million-plus hardcore viewers paying $9.99 a month to access this huge back catalog um, of content, you know, that, that's, a, that's a huge, uh, a huge uh, 
revenue driver for the company. The fact that now they're in an era because of the changes across the media landscape where they can command exorbitant rights fees for their programming, which wasn't the case back in the 90s. The fact that you have certain uh, certain elements that no one could have predicted, for example, the, the injection of uh, capital from Saudi Arabia, you know, which was not on the radar back back in the late 90s. So, you know, I think a cynical way of looking at it would be to say that they are, uh, to some extent, sort of being propped up by by some of these uh, some of these things. And maybe if uh, they have to operate based on the same conditions as back in the the mid to late 90s, they wouldn't be as successful. Um, but I think the, the larger point that I'm trying to make is I think sometimes as, as fans we think, well. If the shows are better and if the, the matches are better and the storylines are better, the company is doing better. And that's for the reasons that I just laid out. You know, I think a lot of people in the business wish it was that simple, but it's it's never that simple. We're at a time now where WWE has a new kid on the block that's trying to challenge them, uh, All mm-hmm. Elite Wrestling. And it's interesting because you see All Elite Wrestling, one of the first things that they've done is they've secured a deal with TNT, right? Mm-hmm. Same place where Nitro uh, aired so many years ago. And even we got to a point now, I'm not sure if you've seen this or not, Guy, where, you know, the president of All Elite Wrestling, Tony Khan, he, he's kind of taken some shots at WCW and the way the company was ran and said, you know, he's not going to be making those types of mistakes and things right. of that nature, which Eric Bischoff has given rebuttals, you know, essentially... <laughs> saying that uh, he's not really impressed with anything that All Elite Wrestling has put out thus far. And at the rate that they're going, he doesn't feel they're going to last very long. What do you think, Guy? And again, I'm asking you this as a person who has done all this research. You literally studied the ins and outs of WCW and ultimately what brought the company down. What's some, some information from your perspective that you would put out there for anyone trying to operate a wrestling business on the same scale as WCW did, you know, 20 plus years ago. And then at the point where they're actually competing with WWE, something that all elite wrestling is essentially doing today. What what are just some things that come to mind when you think about what that would look like and, and how that could possibly be successful or not so successful? Well, I think it occurs to me, and I'm obviously not alone in coming to this conclusion, but I think at the moment there's a certain ceiling that a secondary wrestling company seems to be able to achieve with respect to the size of its audience and and the size of its uh, share of the pie, so to speak. You think back on some of the numbers that TNA were able to achieve going back eight, nine, ten years ago. Uh, You know, they were consistent, and even before that, in fairness, they were able to consistently draw you know, a million to a million, uh, 1.3 million uh, viewers on a, on a weekly basis. And obviously, it, it's a different time now, but I think if you look at the weekly numbers for, for AEW, I think it's fair to say they're somewhere in that 850 to 900,000 viewer range. So obviously, they have cultivated, uh, again, an extremely passionate uh, fan base. They're selling out, they've, they've had the ability to sell out shows in, in significant arenas in a matter of minutes. Um, you look at their presence on, on the internet, it's absolutely huge. And, uh, having gone to, you know, a couple of their events as well, I can say, you know, the, the way that that audience looks at those, those performers and the relationship they have with the company is just, just extraordinary. I think the, the million dollar question is, how do you grow beyond 
that audience? How do you appeal to someone who, um, quite frankly, doesn't care about wrestling or maybe was a fan back in the day or has an awareness on a general level of some of the biggest stars but maybe feels that, you know, that the programming has passed them by? Um, that's the question I think a lot of wrestling companies have grappled with, quite frankly, since the era that this book focuses on. So the ultimate question, I think, with AEW is what is the end goal? Is it to be profitable? Uh, from what I understand, they, they already are profitable. Uh, and I think with the, uh, again, the, the servant nature of their fan base, I don't think that, that would necessarily be um, particularly difficult. Um, is, is it to really challenge WWE? In which case, I, I, I do feel that maybe there was a missed opportunity. It's hard to... It's it's hard to contextualize this now, but you think about all of the buzz that existed for AEW prior to them launching, and the fact that WWE were really at an all-time low in terms of the buzz that surrounded that company and just the numbers on, on Monday night. I would have loved to have seen AEW, this may not be a popular opinion now, but I, I would have loved to have seen them challenge uh, Raw uh, just to get an initial sense of, of what that number would look like uh, to begin with. Um, so, again, it is that the goal, or is, is the goal to uh, try to drive another wave of mainstream awareness to wrestling? I'm, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure of uh, of what the uh, of what they're shooting for and what they're aiming at. Um, so I suppose that's a long-winded way of saying, you know, they have they have cultivated an extremely loyal audience. They've obviously, you know, made made uh, significant waves in the industry. I don't see that, you know, coming to a halt anytime soon. But again, the question is, can you go beyond that that ceiling of somewhere around a million viewers who are going to consistently tune in and pay attention to wrestling? This is why it was so important to have you on the show, Guy, because, again, your perspective is very interesting. You're not a wrestling guy. You're a a wrestling fan, but it's not like you worked in the pro wrestling industry and what have you. So some people would see that as a negative. Well, what does he know? Well, he's able to look at this from fresh eyes, with fresh eyes. And the level of detail that you've gone through with your book, the, the interviews that you were able to secure, I mean, interviews with folks that do not give interviews, has not spoken on the record about this with anyone, you, you had so many people that you were able to do that with. And that's why I feel that it's important for folks not only to read the book, but then to listen to some of the things you have to say today about the current landscape. And the more we talk about some of the parallels and the similarities, hopefully the better the industry will be because it's like, oh, that looks like you're about to walk into a, a pothole there. You know, be careful with that little move there. That's what hmm. WCW did back then. And, you know, unfortunately it, re- it resulted in X, Y, and Z. So that's why I think that from a historical perspective, the book is so important, you know, and, right. and, and that's the way my brain works there. No, I, I appreciate that. And I think, you know, the, the, the question is, um, is the, the current level of mainstream awareness with respect to wrestling, is that a function of just the fragmentation of media that we've seen over the past decade or two? In other words, was this the logical evolutionary step for wrestling, that it was going to go from something that was resonating on a pop culture level and, and was something, you know, I, I've said this before, it was very common back then, you know, even being on, on my side of the pond growing up, you would have people who were, were fans of, I, I hesitate to use this word, but lack of a better word, you know, legitimate sports. 
who were also wrestling fans, you know, who would say, yeah, I watched the NBA, NFL, and I, I also watched WWF or WCW. You know, that, that was pretty common back then, and I think it's much less so common today. Um, you, t- you tend to have people who are sort of one or the other, and that's not to say that, you know, those people don't exist, by the way. Um, but again, to, to return to my point, I think the question is, was that inevitably where wrestling was going to go once the competition ended, once some of these stars went away, um, and, and once, quite frankly, a lot of forms of entertainment became so, so niche or, or niche in terms of their focus? Or is this a result of decisions and strategies uh, that have been made within the wrestling business itself? So has wrestling put itself in this position where, yes, it has an extremely passionate fan base, but, but cannot seem to grow beyond that? Um, or actually, should the business be commended for, for holding on throughout all of these changes as it, as it has um, and, and cultivating this particular part of the marketplace? And that's really uh, a question and an issue that I'm fascinated with right now. And I'd actually uh, love to hear your thoughts on that, Dave. As we say, you know, entertainment it has just changed so much over the past 20 years, over the past 10 years. I mean, with on-demand content in particular, the mm-hmm. ability to watch things whenever you want, the ability to binge watch things, mm-hmm. it has put us in a position where appointment television is almost obsolete. Correct. You know, I don't have to be home at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on a Monday night to catch Raw. I can watch Raw Saturday night when I have a little bit more time, and I don't have to stay up because i got to work the next morning because I'm off mm-hmm. on, on Sunday. So that how we consume the entertainment has changed so much, and I think that has impacted what our appetites are today as well. So I think, you know, a lot of people talk about the fact that this is such a boom period for pro wrestling. I think we're in the complete opposite. I think that it's a boom period for those who have enough money to weather the storm. Uh, but for a lot of these smaller promotions, you know, and, and I have a lot of folks come on the show and I talk to promoters and wrestlers and what have you, they're really not making the money, guy. Relative to maybe where wrestling was five years ago, you could you could make that statement that it's in somewhat of a growth period. But to sort of have any sort of historical context and really analyze the times in, in, in the 20th century, for example, that wrestling really took off, to suggest that today is anywhere in that, that stratosphere, I think, you know, one would have a hard a hard case to, to make that argument. And again, that, that's not to denigrate, and again, this is just, just my opinion, it's, it's not to denigrate anything that, that is going on today, but it, I think it's just, again, just night and day when you compare the, the cultural um, relevancy and importance of wrestling during the time that this book focuses on to today. You know, the, the stars of today are very popular and very well-liked and well-regarded to wrestling fans, but I think non-wrestling fans would have a difficult time you know, naming the, the large majority of, of, of those people. And I think that's a problem for wrestling if it ever wants to get back to that that position of, of cultural relevancy. So it really depends on what standards are we talking about. Are we talking about um, you know thing, uh, things moving moving uh, uh, towards a, a state of improvement and things growing and new companies coming on the horizon and, and more people having an opportunity to make money? Or are we really talking about uh, a, a state of affairs that we saw perhaps in the in the 60s, the 80s, and the 90s where the masses were really tuning into wrestling. So 
I, I think it depends on the parameters of the debate, um, you know, going into the debate in terms of how you look at it. Let's tell everybody, Guy, because, again, we've been talking about the book. We've been talking about your perspective today and how the book has impacted that. Let everybody know, first and foremost, how can they find the book? Where's the best place that they can get it? Uh, I know that you, you're in the process of trying to get it um, on an uh, audio version, what have you. Please, just give all the, the information. Let us know what's the best way to get the book. Sure. So there's essentially two ways to get the book. Either you can go on Amazon uh, and just type in WCW Nitro Book. That's probably the easiest way to um, to come across it. And that goes for whatever country you're listening to this in. It, it'll pop up on Amazon. Alternatively, you could just type in WCWNitroBook.com, uh, and you can get the paperback version. Uh, you can also get the audio version of the book uh, at WCWNitroBook.com. And as you mentioned there, Duke, uh, we're in the process of, of getting uh, the book set up on Audible. Uh, I think with uh, everything going on in the world, there's been a little bit of a delay you know, on their end about that, but we anticipate in the next couple of weeks uh, the book will be available on, on Audible as well. And uh, and obviously the Kindle version you can check out on Amazon as well. So there's a number of different ways you can read the book or listen to the book. And, uh, and as I say, check out for that Audible version as well. And also, Guy, please let everybody know how they can reach you online because I'll tell you, you're you're another guy who, when you're posting things and, and what have you, it's it's the conversation can get very very interesting because when you spend time researching something to the degree that you have researched it, it's very easy for you to also help dispel uh, things that just aren't true. Quite frankly, you know what I mean. Uh, which so that's that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy you as a as a follow online. So please let everybody know how can they follow you online, especially Twitter and what have you. Yeah, so uh, we have a Twitter account for the book, which again is just WCW Nitro Book. Uh, and as you mentioned there, you know often we'll post um, clippings of documents and memos and emails and and some some clips from the WCW archives that um, you know people haven't seen before. Um, and so we, we like to try to do that from, from time to time just to, um, as you said, maybe respond to something that's in the news or something that coincides with a particular date in WCW history. Um, and you can also uh, check us out on, uh, on Instagram as well. Again, it's WCW Nitro Book. Or if people want to reach me directly, you can actually do that uh, through email, which is GuyEvansWCWBook at gmail.com. So that's another way you can uh, get in touch with me directly. Guy, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I mean, you're you're my long lost cousin from Wales, uh, so I, I, I really appreciate that. Let, let me ask you one last question before I let you go. Mm -hmm. If you could narrow it down to one or two, what are the biggest takeaways that you would hope for for anyone reading the book? What, what do you want people who may not have been as knowledgeable about WCW and the inner workings and things of that nature, or, or just don't know the truth behind how the company went from being the number one wrestling company in the world to no longer existing, basically. What are some takeaways that you would prefer people to walk away with after reading the book? That's a great question. I think uh, more than anything else, uh, I can speak for what I sort of gained uh a recognition for in, in writing the book is really understanding how important 
competition was in, in all of this. And I think if you look at what happened to the wrestling business subsequent to WCW's demise, and obviously we can have an argument as to whether or not this still applies today with, with AEW, but obviously there was a long period there where you essentially had an effective monopoly in the business, and I think the, the performers suffered for it, the content uh, suffered because of it, the fans suffered because of it. And so uh, I think I had a casual awareness of that going in, but um, certainly digging into to the week-by-week you know, happenings within each company really gave me an appreciation for that. But I think, you know, from the perspective of the reader, what I would hope people would go away with um, is an understanding of, you know, some of these cliches, I suppose, that we hear with respect to WCW, the fact that, you know, the, the merger changed the game or the fact that there were uh, executives with internal broadcasting that were not particularly happy with WCW being on the airways and so on. These were very real and tangible considerations uh, with respect to how WCW conducted itself as a business. You know, any of us can can sit there with a piece of paper and say, well, you know, in 1999, they should have booked the pay-per-views this way and they should have put the belt on this guy and uh, here's, what, here's what I would have done for Starcade that year. The, the actual reality of doing that, you know, you mentioned, I think, the word before, Duke, uh, the, the, the nuance of the situation. The, the nuances and the complexities involved of getting to that endpoint uh, were just so numerous with, with WCW that at times you have to sort of shake your head and marvel at how they were able to do so well um, for, for as long as they did. I think there's, there's someone in the book that makes the point that a lot of times with the company it was, you know, they were building the, the, the rail track as the train was in motion, and for a long period of time they were just staying one step ahead of, of disaster. Um, and I think some of that can be blamed on internal reasons, and some of that, quite honestly, was due to the to the wider dysfunction that was going on with with Turner Broadcasting um, as a whole. So, uh, you know, I, I would hope that people would go away uh, from reading this book with with that in mind, and I think that helps to contextualize a lot of stuff that went well with the company, and also uh, a lot of things that didn't go so well. So. That would be my answer to that. And apart from that, Duke, I uh, I really appreciate being on. And anytime you want to do this again, just let me know. Really cool. Really cool. Good good to talk to you, Guy, there. And I appreciate that type of conversation. It's a little different from what you would hear elsewhere because, as I said, you know, let's take a step back and let's talk about everything now that the book has been out. And people have given their reviews and, you know, guys had a chance to answer back to some of the uh, positive and the the criticism that he's gotten for that work there. It's interesting too, because, you know, he, he partnered up with Conrad Thompson and, and Eric Bischoff and they did a panel, which was really, really cool. So he got a chance to discuss it even further. So good stuff. Good stuff. Listen, folks, I, you know, uh, our friend, Kim Artlip, she is down there in Florida and, and, She's got some things going on, owns her own promotion, what have you. So I wanted to check in with her real quick. So check out this this conversation that I just had with uh, Kim Artlip. So the state of Florida has deemed world wrestling entertainment essential, meaning they, you know, the, the people who work for WWE, they can travel back and forth and get to work and what have you. They can assemble. They can have more than 10 people in the building at a time. I think they're still trying to practice social distancing, you know, as much as a wrestling show could possibly do. But 
this is kind of an interesting concept that WWE, literally just an entertainment medium, would be considered essential. So I thought about it and I said, you know something? Let me reach out to a good friend of the show, somebody who owns a pro wrestling company in Florida. So, you know, she may have some perspective on what the heck is going on. I mean, we talk about Florida, man, and we talk about Florida just in general. This is the most Florida thing that has ever florida in Florida history as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, without further ado, welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. She is the owner of Ignite Wrestling down in Florida, Kim Hartlett. What's going on there, Kim? Well, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell Governor DeSantis is thinking, because that is the most dumb, dumbest, you're right, most Florida thing I've ever heard. Because I mean, a wrestling um, company, right? A wrestling company is on the same level as as a drugstore and a supermarket and a, you know, and a let's, let's just say they're on the same as a liquor store. We'll just say wrestling <laughs> is equal to getting drunk. Now, I have I have friends that have businesses that you know uh, a liquidation warehouse. They're not deemed essential because they're not doing uh, you know medication, alcohol, home repair, and everything. But you know. How or what the WWE had to do and what positions they had to get into with the governor of the state of Florida, I don't want to know because I don't want that visual in my head, but it is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. But, you know, you've got to look at it this way. They own their own building. They have a budget that far exceeds anybody down here in the Indies. They can hire medical staff and cleaning staff and blah, 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 blah. But... Do I think that they were essential enough to get a pass from the state? Hell no. That's just money talking. That's all that is, plain and simple, money talking. Well, and, and it begs the question. So here you are, you know, Ignite Wrestling. It's it's a pro wrestling promotion in the state of Florida. Are you essential as well? I mean, if WWE is, wouldn't that make you essential as well, technically? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We're an entertainment company, but but I run my shows in someone else's venue. I don't have the security and the sanitation and the level of stuff that the WWE can do. Uh, I'm I'm pure I'm pure entertainment, but I wouldn't be putting just myself on the line or my building. That's someone else's venue. Their staff, the fans, the wrestlers. And I can guarantee you that brewery is not going to sanitize that entire brewery to have us in there to film. They don't have the budget, and we don't have the budget to do it. So, you know, it's it's a matter of money talks and, you know, what they, they, they look the other way on. But, no, I think it's absolutely positively uh, negligent because you're risking the wrestlers. You're risking the support staff. You're risking all the little students that think they're getting an opportunity only because they live in the Orlando area and will show up. Uh, the film crew, everybody. And they've already got COVID, COVID-19 in the WWE employees. Why would you push the issue for, for a video? I mean, you look at the size of their, their library. There are so many things they could do with their library. There are so many remote things that they could do and virtual and throwback and, and best of, but they're all about the almighty dollar, and that's what it comes down to, and indie wrestling cannot compete with that. Well, speaking of competing, I mean, let, let's talk about it. 
you have your promotion, Ignite Wrestling. It's it's an mm-hmm. active promotion. It's it's a promotion that people are very well aware of. You've had a lot of big names there and what have you. Yeah. How are you <laughs> adjusting to this new COVID nineteen world here? I mean, how what have you done with the company to kind of keep things going and and keep your name out there of for everybody to know about? Well, to be honest, Ignite's not one of those weekly, monthly companies. We only run three times a year, so I'm built for this shit. Um, we have, um, you know, we've been on Roku, we're on Fight, we're on Pivot Share. We've been working our way to a to a more virtual uh, standpoint, so we're not dependent in case a hurricane comes through in the summer, in case you know something happens to the venue, in case we have a global pandemic. We're not, I'm not dead in the water. Uh, and this isn't the end of me because I have, you know, 147 videos, matches that people are looking for content. And we're, we've got a digital magazine. We've got this. We've got that. There are ways that we can stay. We're going to be trying water, but we're going to, we're going to be staying afloat one way or the other. A lot of companies haven't done this. They really haven't gone to websites. They really haven't gone to platforms. Um, you know, and there's 60, 68, 78 companies down here in Florida. We're, we're either going to see a lot of companies go under or a heck of a lot of stimulus check matches in a briefcase coming up in about three months. Oh, my goodness. You just put it out there in the universe there. Stimulus check match in a briefcase. I, I don't I, know. I I don't know if, if that was Rudy Gonzalez that was talking about that. It was somebody in wrestling that was talking about, you know, how many, uh, somebody was talking about how many, you know, stimulus check and a briefcase matches are we going to see? And I'm thinking, yeah, I've actually seen people talking about doing that in groups and, um, toilet paper on a pole match and that, which actually happened uh, down, I think in Louisiana or Mississippi or somewhere down there. That match already happened, but you know, we're either going to come out with some really strong com- companies or we're going to have some really carny-ass crap going on come fall. And I'll be surprised. I mean, we run, we're supposed to run in May. I don't see us running in May. Uh, we're supposed to run in September. I'm 50-50 that we'll be able to run in September. I, I think that we're dead. The indie scene, for the most part, is dead until, uh, you know, winter. I'll be surprised. But I, but there, there are promoters down here and I disagree with and they think I'm an asshole and I think they're being negligent. I don't think we should be doing no ring matches or no audience matches and no ring matches and these minimal crew matches because, you know, nobody is that thirsty for your content that you have to make new content right now. You have a library. Use your frickin' library. Well, and that's a good point. I mean, that's the whole point of storing the content. That library mm-hmm. is really, and we've seen it. The WWE has proven that there is absolutely an appetite for older content, content that's already been pre-recorded, and especially if you have stuff that maybe didn't go out yet. Maybe you felt the match wasn't necessarily the greatest match, or you, or you have a match from a different angle. It was shot differently. There's so many different things that can be done if people want to put the time in and get creative. And it's something that you've always been on the forefront of. I mean, you definitely are someone that understands how to take your content and get 
the absolute most use out of it. And, you know, I really appreciate that because it's, it's innovative. You know, it's, it's smart. Well, there's no reason why we can't be repurposing stuff. Now, like um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're going to be playing the women at night. I've got uh, 16, 18 women's matches that a lot of people haven't seen all of these matches. I've got three years of title matches for the for the men's title that are going to be uh, going out like on on Wednesdays. You know, so I'm I'm making a schedule and I'm putting it out there. Not that I expect to like make a killing on it, but you know, people there's a lot of people that may not know Dave Christ ever wrestled for me and may not realize that Leo Rush ever was at our shows. You know, may not realize, you know, Rachel Ellering made an appearance. But that's in our archive stuff. So why not put it out there and, you know, give people something to watch? Um, you know, there's a lot of people looking for older matches and older videos. Uh, uh, one of the Ugly Ducklings, um, uh, uh, Rob Killjoy, he was showing uh, on his personal uh, Facebook all the DVDs and videos that he's collected of indie and, and different companies over the years. So there's there's definitely uh, people out there watching and people looking and people studying tape. So, you know, why not get it out there? Yeah, well said. Well said. We're talking to Kim Artlip. She is the owner of Ignite Wrestling. It's a great indie promotion down in Florida. You know, always has some great content. You definitely got to check out their YouTube channel, what have you folks, and follow them on Facebook and, and Twitter the whole nine yards. You know, Kim, again, you're a person that is very innovative and, and you don't put your eggs in one basket. You always have something else going on, you know, and, and I just, I really appreciate that about you. I can't say that enough. One of the things that you do, which outside of wrestling is really my favorite thing that you do, you have a deals website. Uh, thequeenofcheap.com, right? Tell everybody about this website and why it's important for them to check it out. Um, years ago, before the Queen of Cheap, I actually had a website, and a lot of people may not realize this. I had a website called the Work at Home Mafia. So, out of that, you know, people were trying to work at home, and it kind of, kind of became this transition into. You know, okay, I'm working at home. How can I save even more money? And um, I had some very sarcastic insults that because I love a great deal, and they nicknamed me the Queen of Cheap because I don't want to pay full price if I need to get away with it. So uh, about 2013, I started the website and um, kind of put it on the back burner, focused on Ignite. And with everything that's going on, people are trying to figure out, you know, how can I make my own laundry detergent? How can I save money? How can I get a deal? Where can I find stuff? And I thought, you know, I still own this domain, uh, and I still love a great deal. So, yeah, I brought it, I brought it back. Uh, it's back up on Twitter and Facebook and the website, and I'm slowly building it back up. But, um, you know, there's no reason why people should be ashamed. And I'm, and I had people say, well, that don't you think that it kind of discredits you as a promoter? No, it shows that I'm not going to pay full price for stuff. But, you know, there's no shame in in being a smart shopper. And that was always my heart, a hashtag. It was home with a smart shopper. 
so yeah, with with everything that I do, finding a way that I can save money and still work at home and still build the business and, and share uh, is really important to me. What are some of the cool things that uh, people can find on there? Because I know one of the first places that I like to go is specifically your freebie section. <laughs> I mean, your freebie section has just been so awesome. T- tell us about um, some of these these categories here. Well, there, there's freebies, and I've been putting a lot of the, actually a lot of this free streaming uh, where you can watch all these really cool channels. Sling's got some deals going on. There's some Hulu deals going on. The Grand Ole Opry had an Easter show you could watch for free. Um, there's a lot of things that you can get free access to. There's a lot of places that you can, since we are now doing drive-through and carry-out, uh, restaurants where you could get like a free uh, a free day single if you use the mobile app at Wendy's, buy any item and, and add a free single. You know, so you can go to Wendy's, get a Frosty and a single for a dollar forty-four down here, and that kind of appeals to me because uh, you know the $5 hamburger. But, um, you know, there's deals, uh, there's Amazon codes, there's Walmart deals, there's freebies, there's surveys for people that like to do that. Uh, there's some work-at-home stuff that we're putting up. Uh, we're going to start doing uh, an adding in sweepstakes. That's kind of a new category that's coming. But, um, yeah, definitely the deals and the freebies because I love, I love freebies and I like samples. I'm, I'm, I love to get sample packs of stuff. So if I can get like a sample box or, you know, uh, whatever it is, that's always something very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what, what's even cool too is that I've, I've noticed you put up a few recipes. So. Um, I, I like recipes and, you know, um, a lot of people, um, and I hate to say this, a lot of people are, Need to, <laughs> like an ongoing joke. A lot of people are buying toilet paper because they're cooking for themselves for the first time. <laughs> they can't go out. But, uh, yeah, there, I, recipes, um, I've got some recipes for like peanut butter pie. Everybody's got peanut butter right now and they don't know what to do with it, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I, I love, I love peanut butter. So the, the, the fact that you can take your peanut butter and, and whip it up and make a pie out of it, I never thought about that before. Now, I'm going to be trying that. I think I'm going to make them into bars instead of just a pie, but it's going to be your recipe there. Yeah, because every, everybody ha- everybody always has pe- – that's one of the staples when hurricane season comes is we always down here get peanut butter. And anyone that goes to a food pantry, they give you peanut butter every month. So everybody's got this big glut of peanut butter and no idea what to do with it. But, you know, we're, we're, we're also, you know, we're, we're posting jobs because, you know, a lot of people have lost their jobs. So we've got like an Indeed job board on there. And, you know, and I'm looking, I'm actually looking at the website, uh, right now while we're talking and like Instacart, Instacart's hiring heavily down here. Uh, and, and all the shopping services. So, I mean, people are looking for jobs. They're looking for ways to save money. They're looking for, you know, how they can watch stuff for free. And they're looking for things they can entertain your kids with. And, you know, it's one of the things that I'm trying to get up there is, you know, the free teaching thing, the, 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 the downloads where you can, your kids can play games and, you know, free magazines, anything that you can do to distract yourself from what's going on because we can't sit on social media and read all this negativity. That's the one thing we, we just can't do right now. We're dealing with real life and death situations right now. 
you know, some folks, unfortunately, they're they're getting calls that the last time they're going to speak to their loved one is going to be while a stranger is holding the phone and they're saying goodbye. You know, a nurse friend of mine posted something about that the other day, and it's just like, wow, it really brings it home. So things like your site, thequeenofcheap.com, recipes and freebies and samples and ways to do stuff, um, it's such a positive, it's such a great way to take your mind off of the, the craziness in the world, and it gives you something to do. So I definitely encourage everybody, please check out that website. And also, you know, Kim, plug everything. Let, let everybody know how they can get some Ignite Wrestling in their life, the social media, the whole nine yards. Plug it all, please. Um, of course, you can find Ignite Wrestling. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Snapchat, uh, Fire TV, Roku, Pivot Share. And independent wrestling TV, all at Ignite Wrestling. And you can find the Queen of Cheap. We are, um, and, and make sure you put the, that's us, the Queen of Cheap. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, uh, and we are coming to Instagram. But definitely check out our website. Sign up for our newsletter because there are things that I send out in a daily newsletter that don't necessarily make it on the website because it's a little incentive to get people to sign up. But yeah, definitely check out our social media. Um, like I said, we've got some some new streaming and some classic matches coming, and I'm putting 20, 30 deals and freebies up a day on the Queen of Cheap. So you have to you have to come back every day. For sure, for sure. Listen, Kim Artlip, whether it's Ignite Wrestling, whether it's thequeenofcheap.com, I just really appreciate all the content that you put out there. Always entertaining, always informative. Before I let you go, I just have one big request. And, I, and I'm asking you this on the air for the entire world to hear. So you can't back out like you've been doing on me, Kim. So here we go now. I need the recipe to your award-winning chili. And and the last time I asked you this question, <laughs> you completely ignored me. You refused to, to – you, you switched the subjects. And i got to ask you on the air. I'm putting the pressure on. I need the recipe to your award-winning chili. Winning chili, Kim Artlip. What's it going to be? Can you let me know right now, please? It is ninety-three percent ground beef. It is it is fire roasted tomatoes, peppers, onions, and egg night wrestling hot sauces in it. That's a secret recipe. Uh, paprika, cayenne, um, kidney beans, and fresh onions. But it's the hot sauce and the paprika and the cayenne and cumin. You've got to put the cumin in and red pepper flake. So wait a second. Now, the hot sauce. Okay, that's that's what the secret recipe So how do we get the hot sauce? I need the hot sauce so I can I can make my chili here. I only have two bottles left. Uh, we're on back order waiting, uh, and that's one of the things about the pandemic is the people that actually bottle our hot sauce are not are, are so backlogged and – I'm not sure if they're an essential business, to be honest, uh, as a bottling company. But we're on back order waiting for hot sauce. But uh, off the air, give me your address, and I will drop you hot sauce in the mail today. See that, folks? I'm telling you right there, Kim Artlip, she comes through once again. I just had to utilize all of you <laughs> to put the pressure on her, and it worked out for everybody. Kim, once again, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for letting me come on. Always a pleasure talking to Kim. You know, she's a firecracker, man.
She, <laughs> without a doubt. And she always has so much going on. Just a lot of irons in the fire. All good stuff. All good stuff. There. So thanks again, Kim. And, you know, before I, I wrap this show up this week, um, of course, I have to mention the massive layoffs that just took place in the WWE. Something like over 40% of, of their workforce was just laid off. And, you know, it's, it's fresh. It literally has just happened within the past 12 hours, and it may still be happening, to be honest with you. So I don't feel like it would be appropriate for me right now to delve too deep into this. I think we got to give it a couple more days, give it another week, and I'll have somebody come on the show who reports on this stuff, who can really give us more detailed information about what the heck just happened today. But I mean, so many WWE superstars and office people and what have you were just laid off. Rusev, Lana, Mike Bennett, Maria, you know, Lindsay Dorado. You, you can just go on and on and on. Zack Ryder, just so many people. It's, it's really something else. So I definitely want to talk about it. Kurt Angle, who's working behind the scenes. Fit Finley, all these folks laid off. And some of these folks may not get another opportunity to work on a major scale in pro wrestling again. And who knows what the pro wrestling industry, what the business is going to be going forward. A lot has changed in this, this new reality that we have here. So I want to give it another week, and then I'm going to delve deep into it. I'll, I'll dedicate more than half of the episode next week just about that topic because I think it, it deserves that type of attention to detail and what have you. Um, but I just want to make this point here. I really ask, respectfully, I ask that everybody, if you see somebody from the WWE, you know, one of the employees or what have you is still there, and they're defending the company in any way and saying, hey, let's not point the finger, et cetera, et cetera. Seth Rollins did something like that. Just bear in mind, please, these folks got to pay their bills. And who knows where that line is? And for everybody, it may be different. And this isn't me saying that I agree with what WWE did. I mean, you're a multi-billion dollar company. Could you have continued to survive and carried your workforce for a little longer and ride this storm out? Of course they could. But for a publicly traded company, is that the most responsible thing to do? Because at the end of the day, they don't answer to the fans. And they don't answer to their employees. They answer to their investors. Now, if there were a private company still, this whole situation probably would have looked a little different. But because they're not, at the end of the day, they're going to make business decisions. And this is something, this is a theme I've been talking about for since the beginning of this podcast. It's a business. There is no love of the game. There is no love of just going out there to entertain the crowd and all this other nonsense that a lot of people would like you to believe. It's a business. If it was just for the love of anything, they'd be doing it for free. And that's not the case especially in the WWE. That is not the case. So, but I, I, I want to focus more on the talent 
don't give these guys and, and, and ladies a hard time if you if you see them making statements that may appear like they're defending the company or they're saying focus on those who've been you know let go and let's celebrate them let's not point fingers hey as far as i'm concerned if you're still working there if you were able to survive these cuts you 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 told that company line you say whatever you got to say you do what you got to do to keep that food on your table and keep that roof over your head till we ride out the storm okay live to fight another day do what you got to do because working for WWE is gainful employment a lot of these wrestlers, they own property and, and, and they have disposable income to buy nice things. And I mean, Zack Ryder was a toy collector. He, he spent something like $40,000 on action figures. I mean, come on, that's, that's disposable income, right? In my opinion, it's an investment as well. But my point still remains. Secure your position. Don't, don't listen to these folks that want to talk this love of the game and how could you and all this other listen i don't care if you're a wwe superstar if you're the person working at the mall store whatever this is a tough time for everybody and nobody's job is secure if you're working in the healthcare field and you contract covid-19 and you've used up all of your sick time and and you you know you've given You've been given ample time to quote unquote recover, but you still just ain't right. How long are you gonna they're gonna keep you on the books before they stop paying you? This is real situations we're talking about, folks. Right? So who are we to play this for the love of the game nonsense when we're when we're talking to people about their real lives? They have families, they have people that they're responsible for in addition to themselves. You say whatever you got to say, you maintain your job, you ride this storm out. And then when we get on the other side of this thing, if you feel, you know what, this just ain't for me anymore, then sure, then you make your moves. But live to fight another day. It is tough to see some of my heroes get laid off, just like it's tough to see my neighbors and family members and other folks get laid off. It's tough. But we as a, as a world are dealing with these harsh realities right now. And we just got to weather this storm, man. So again, you know, my heart goes out to everybody who was let go. It doesn't matter the industry, every single body, including the WWE superstars. And let me tell you something, it's going to happen in other promotions as well. I mean, you know, Ring of Honor is not even operating right now. Does that mean all those folks are getting paid? Probably not. And if you think all elite wrestling is suddenly going to pick up everybody that the WWE just let go, pick them up to do what? <laughs> they don't even know the next time they're going to have a live event. Or what that even means anymore. Right? Some folks are saying that we won't even get stadium concerts and things like that at least for another year. Because of the residual effect of what this all means. I'm not going to see large crowds and things like that at, at, at sporting events anytime soon or entertainment events anytime soon. That's not going to happen. 
And if it does, it probably is not going to be the best idea. So we, we, we got a serious storm ahead of us, folks, that we're in. We're in the middle of it. So again, I, I say to you, when you see something like what Seth Rollins said, let's not point the finger. I feel bad for everybody who, who left, but this, now is not the time for the blame game. It's just a terrible situation. I'm paraphrasing, but these are the things. This is the, ju- the, the, the gist of what he said. I just ask that you have a little compassion and show a little grace there. If if that's what he has to say in order to maintain his job so he's not the next one to get cut by the company, because it's not like they need him, by the way. So that's the other part of this with these cuts and, and with WWE. WWE has proven they don't need any of these, these stars. They'll just put somebody else in that spot. And if you're dramatically scaling down your business, well, hey, <laughs> whoever I say is a star is a star. And people are either going to tune in or they're not. But that TV money is in the bank as long as you put something on TV every week. So what do you do? Right? So for everybody who's still at the company, I'll tell you right now, yes, you, you say whatever you got to say. You keep that company line going. Keep a roof over your head. Keep food on your table. Ride this out. That's right. And as I said, folks, we'll we'll cover this in, in greater detail next week. I will definitely dedicate, maybe I'll just dedicate the entire show to this topic. And we'll get a couple of different perspectives on it. Um, I know there's definitely some wrestlers out there who have some things to say. There's some writers who cover this stuff. We'll We'll make it a whole special, okay? Until then, thank you very much to all our guests this week. I wanted to give you guys a longer form show and They'll mix it up a little bit. So I was very happy to do that for you. This whole WWE layoff thing, just literally at the 12th hour, it, it happened. And I had the show completed and ready a certain way. And then that breaking news happened. And I had a choice to make. I could either just scrap everything else I just did and focus on a developing story or what I felt was more responsible is just to give you the show the way that I intended and put this little addendum at the end here. And, you know, next week we're, we'll have something a lot more complete on the layoffs. That's right. That's right. Listen, folks, be kind to yourselves, be kind to others. I'll see you next week. Mr. Tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on Duke Love Wrestling. 